All right, a little shuffling, a little reorganizing. Great job, band. Thank you so much for leading us, really. That, they're such great songs. In 1987, a man named Jean-Pierre Bellet traveled to Lourdes, France, a destination for pilgrims and those seeking healing. And years earlier, Jean-Pierre had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and he was now confined to a wheelchair. But during a service in Lourdes, Jean-Pierre felt something strange. As the priest was anointing me with oil, I had the impression that everything was turning around me. And in a fraction of a second, I lost all sense of time and space. God was coming to cure my heart. I was invaded by a powerful feeling of liberation and peace that I had never experienced before. After that experience, Jean-Pierre began to feel a tingling in his legs. And a few days later, he took his first unaided steps in years. Subsequent examinations would show only minor traces of the illness that had once dominated his life. Though still a medical mystery, Jean-Pierre's cure was deemed an official miracle by the Vatican in 2002. Miracles. Have you ever seen one? Personally? Elmer and I just... Uh, celebrated our 37th anniversary. I think that's a miracle of sorts, don't you? <laughs> uh, do you believe that miracles could happen? And when someone mentions miracles, are you one of those who sort of winces inwardly, sort of with embarrassment, or would you like, do you feel like you want to reframe the biblical stories and explain the miracles away to make the Bible more palatable in this day and age when skepticism makes believing those kinds of things a little, uh, you know, people, people don't know what to do with that. Or maybe you're one of those people who has absolutely no problem believing the miracles in Scripture. And maybe you have a different issue because it is possible that you would say you've never seen a miracle in your life. And uh, maybe you're one of those who, people who believes that miracles were for Jesus' day and not for our time. I read a whole article on the internet by one of um, evangelicals' leading voices in the States, and that's what he wrote about. He doesn't believe that miracles are for our day. And yet, if we are honest, all of us as followers of Jesus have at some point prayed to God for a miracle, for something to be fixed or someone to be healed or something to be rescued. Or maybe you've prayed for God to right some evil or injustice in our world, but you haven't gotten the answer you desire. Well, in the Gospels, where we are currently in our year of biblical literacy, we find that Jesus has chosen his disciples, he's going around the country teaching, and he's doing miracles. So let's spend some time this morning looking at Jesus' miracles to see if we could find some direction as we bring our wonderings and questions to this topic this morning.
So we'll begin by looking at the why of Jesus' miracles. Why those miracles? Was there something they were highlighting? And then we'll look at, the mir at miracles in the age of skepticism. And then finally, we'll struggle with the question, does God still do miracles today? So what are the miracle stories that come to mind for you? Now, if you were in the room, perhaps you'd say, well, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Or maybe you'd reference one of Jesus, well, Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine at the request of his mother. So I actually thought that would be a good story for Mother's Day, don't you think? Or maybe you would bring up the story of Jesus calming the sea as he and his disciples were in a boat and saving their lives as the wind and the waves obeyed him. Or maybe you'd bring up the story of Jesus showing up four days late after his good friend Lazarus has died and bringing him back from the dead. So many stories to choose from, so many miracles to reference. Well, why do you think Jesus did miracles during his time on earth? Was it because he was like a good person and he wanted to help suffering people? When I try and get my head around that question, what I end up struggling with is that there would have been so many people each day who would have been in the vicinity of Jesus' miracles, um, who arrived hoping for a miracle and went home in the same condition that they came. So think of the man like at the pool of Bethesda. And the whole pool area is covered with people who are sick or damaged. And they're waiting for the water in the pool to be stirred up and they believe that the first person to touch the water will be healed. And all of those people are desperate for a miracle or a touch from God. But in that story, only one person gets healed. It makes, uh, out of, it makes you suspect that, though you're sure Jesus did care about that one man who was healed, there's something else going on as well. And when you look at the entirety of Jesus' ministry, including the miracles, you begin to notice some things. So first of all, every time he does a miracle, he is declaring his lordship over a certain area. So he calms the sea, and in doing so, he declares his lordship over creation, over the created world. He um, heals a person's body, and he shows that he is the lord over sickness. And he brings someone back from the dead, and he is lord even over death itself. Nothing can resist his healing touch. He multiplies bread and fish turns water into wine, and he shows he is the God who is generous, who blesses and provides. But this Jesus, who is the Son of God, is in human form, so people don't easily recognize who he is. So his miracles would have been in some ways like his designation or his credentialing. They show something important about him. Because there would have been lots of other really good teachers or rabbis that were around in his day. Lots of people could teach well. But no one else could do what he did. 
No one else could do a miracle. And I think back to the passage in Matthew chapter 11. You'll remember the story where the disciples of John the Baptist, they show up with a question for Jesus. So John the Baptist has been seized by Herod and thrown in jail, and he's got lots of time to wonder what on earth is going on. If he's been chosen by God to go ahead of the Messiah and to declare that the Messiah is coming and to call people to repentance, what is he doing in jail? Like, how does that all work? So he sends his disciples to find Jesus with this question. Tell me, are you the one from God? Or should we expect another? That's John the Baptist asking that question. And Jesus' reply Go back to John and tell him this. Tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the dead are raised to life, and good news is being preached to the poor. Really, he's saying, don't just believe me because of what I'm saying, though his words were true, but look at my actions, at what I've done. Look at the miracles. They are my proof. They are my credentials, as it were, that Jesus is the Son of God, full of God's power, on God's mission to bring the kingdom of God near, which is what he keeps telling the people he's doing, even if they don't know what that means just yet. And what his words can't prove, because really, who believes someone who's making claims about themselves anyway? What, he, what he, his words don't prove, his actions do. They validate his words. He's telling the truth. And I think about our time that we live in. Like, really, it is so hard for anybody to believe anything that anyone says. Like, even if you're an expert on something, people are skeptical of what you say. Um, and they're looking for proof. And Jesus says, the miracles, they are my proof. And if you don't believe my words, then believe my actions. Believe me because of the miracles. And the people of Jesus' day, they had a benefit that we don't have. They were able actually to, some of them saw the actual miracles, or they could talk to people who watched the miracles happen. So when Jesus sends that message back to John the Baptist, John would have known firsthand that Jesus was telling the truth, that he'd really done the things he referenced. Though, even at that, there would have been people who saw the miracles and still didn't believe Jesus. Or, the Pharisees who saw the miracles, and it made them want to kill him. And you just think, well, that's a bit mind-boggling. But that takes us to our second point, which is that it is now 2,100 years after those miracles and what we have are the stories in Scripture that tell of those events. So you and I, we can't go see those people who were healed. And we can't talk to the eyewitnesses. Um, and we live in a time because of, of skepticism where when people hear something that, you know, they don't really understand or believe, it, they raise their eyebrows and they scoff. And uh, there are lots of people today who say, I just can't get my mind around miracles. Uh, I, you know, 
I just, I can't believe that the laws of nature could be suspended. It's, it's just not possible. I can't believe. And you know people like that, and I know people like that. And I want to reference in answer to this a piece by Timothy Keller who addressed the issue of people and their skepticism of Jesus and his miracles. It's excellent. Keller said, when it comes to our world and our universe, those of us who believe in God believe that he is the one who sustains all of creation by the word of his power. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. God is the one who sustains everything. So every single day, God is working in ways that sustain our world. And he does this most often by means of what you and I would call the laws of nature. It's how he sustains things. That's how he usually does things. But if God wants to do a miracle, he's just doing what he always does, just not in his customary way. I thought that was a really good point. God doing what he always does, just not the way he normally does. So Keller would say, maybe you never thought about miracles, and maybe you don't find them compelling proof about who Jesus is. But he says, don't let them trip you up. If you're considering Christianity, look at Jesus, at his life, his words, his character, the way he lived out love. Look at the things he said about himself. Look at his death and resurrection. If you want to come to grips with whether Christianity is true, look at Jesus. He's the one who will convince you. So Jesus, with his credentialing from God, validated by his miracles, is very unique and really has some remarkable power. And most of us, I have for sure, have watched enough superhero movies to know what people with great power do, right? They break down walls. They beat up the bad guys. They fly. But you don't ever see Jesus. Jesus isn't a fictional superhero character to start with. But he never uses the power that he has from God to do those kinds of showy things. He's not trying to wow anybody. He's not trying to, you know, get attention on himself. But if you pay attention to his miracles, what he's always doing is alleviating human suffering. He'd see pain, and he'd see the person in pain, and he would address the need and the needy. He's not showing off. He's bringing healing and hope to a broken world. And the good Jewish people in the crowd who both saw what Jesus did and then they heard what he said would automatically have associated those actions, those miracles, with a picture that God gave in the Old Testament of his coming rule. And, when, and God said, when I come, when things are set right, this is what it's going to be like. And it's from Isaiah chapter 35. He says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming. He's coming to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So Jesus shows up and he does those very things. The picture of our world set right, 
when God comes back? Well, that's what Jesus is doing. And he's pointing us to a world that's restored, that Isaiah speaks of, and a dream of things set right. And Jesus' miracles showed those who had eyes to see that he was the one they'd been waiting for, the Messiah, full of God's power, showing God's heart and restoring all things. And as followers of Jesus, you and I, our community, we will also find ourselves involved in the kinds of things that address the brokenness that we see in our world. And we will use our resources and influence and effort to alleviate suffering whenever, wherever we find it. Because if that's what Jesus was doing, then that is part of what we are also called to as well. But back to the miracles and our third question. How do you and I interact with a God that we know can heal and fix and rescue and repair and restore as we live in situations that need all of those things from God's touch? We know he fed 5,000 people with one child's meager lunch. He showed himself to be generous. He showed us that he's the God who provides. And we ask the question, will he do that for us too? And I was thinking about this. How do we interact with God when we so long for him to do things? And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And I came across a story that was written by Toru Inui, who, with his wife Claire and his two sons, served with SIM, originally in South Sudan, until he had to leave there due to political instability. And now he works out of Nairobi, Kenya, often with Sudanese refugees. And they are some of the missionaries, if you maybe aren't familiar with that. Toru and Claire are some of the missionaries that Varsity has the privilege of partnering with. And the story that I'm, I want you to hear today appeared this, in this week's, uh, this week it came into my email from Toru, uh, it's his update. And he writes excellent updates. If you don't know Toru and how, don't get his updates, you should ask for them. He's a fantastic writer. Well, anyway, he tells this story. It just came in my email this week, and I asked him if he would read it for us. And he begins his reflection by referencing Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000. And I think Toru expresses exceptionally well many of our longings for God to work and our feelings about miracles. A belief that God has done miracles, that God can do miracles, and that we long for God to do a miracle, especially in the face of great suffering. But we are still waiting. So listen to Toru tell his story. The disciples would have told you it doesn't add up. 5,000 plus hungry faces, a couple of loaves, fishes, it doesn't add up. Even if you took all the salaries for an entire year, wouldn't have fed them a simple lunch. The SIM 
clinic in Doro, South Sudan, seems to be in a similar situation. It serves a host population on top of thousands of refugees who have fled war just across the border in the north. On top of that, recent insecurities in the area have meant thousands have been displaced nearby, taking shelter under trees, huddling in relatives' houses in nearby villages. It's also now the rainy season, and malaria season also is in full swing. People sleeping outside without mosquito nets to protect them from malaria carrying mosquitoes. People going to bed with damp clothes trying to find a dry patch to weather the night. Our clinic seems to be in that situation that disciples were in. Capacity never seems to be enough to be able to meet the needs. And if there weren't just the recent insecurities, there's other things on the horizon that are looming. International health organizations have mentioned their intent to pull out. Maybe donors are growing tired of supporting health work in refugee camps that have been there for more than 10 years. A nearby referral hospital, really the only one around, has changed management for the worse. And that has meant longer queues at our SIM clinic in Doro. Our staff there have tried to do more on the front end with triage, but even when you turn away people for not being critical cases, they opt to just sit there, waiting it out there, taking their chances at the clinic seems like better odds than going elsewhere. No matter how you slice it, things don't add up. I wish they would. I wish I could miraculously make our capacity meet the needs that are there. That somehow a handful of community health workers and other medical staff would be enough for the more than 5,000 faces. That our little loaves and fishes would be somehow enough, even if it was just for one day. But they don't add up. Where is the God of the loaves and fishes, the one who touches and people are healed, the one who speaks and things come to life again, the one who can meet all the needs that we cannot meet? If you ever thought missionaries were the ones changing the world, think again. We're scanning the crowds just like you are, the people on that deserted hillside looking for the master, the one who can change things. We're looking for him because what we have simply is not enough. Just as you need him too at the end of the month when the finances don't add up. Just as the refugees need him as well when they're trying to explain to their children where their next meal will come from. We are all looking for the master. We need him because the numbers just don't add up. Our handful of community health workers, doctor and nurse, just isn't enough in the sea of faces. I wish he would just take the medical people that we have and he would multiply it. 
But as I thought of that, I thought of another thing as well. That maybe after he has had the crowd sit down, he might take the meager offerings that we have, doctor, nurse, community health workers, those meager loaves and fishes, and that he would give thanks to God for them. That he would thank God for the doctor, for the nurse, for the community health worker. That he would look to heaven and give thanks for these loaves and fishes. And who knows what will happen after he gives thanks for these, our meager offerings. Now isn't that something to think about? So Toru taps into our deep longings for God to show up and provide where there is, where our resources just run out. Um, taps into the psalmist who says, come to my help, O God, Lord, hurry to my rescue. So let's just pause here and pray for the work that Toru is involved in um, and the clinic that he's describing. Um, let me pray. God, I, we do pray to you. We, we believe, or at least we want to believe, that you are a God who still does miracles. Sometimes I feel like that, that, that father in Scripture, Lord, I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. Um, help us to, to trust, I guess. But far more than that, I pray, God, that you would be at work. That you would hear Toru's cries on behalf of this little clinic among his words, this sea of need. And that through the doctors, a doctor maybe, and a few other clinic uh, employees, God, may you touch many people. May you do a miracle here in that clinic, in that place, in this time. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Lord, hurry to our rescue. Amen. Such a good and powerful story. And by the way, um, Toru said to pass his greetings on to all of you. I wanted to tell you so many more stories. I wanted to tell you about um, how we are often like the four friends who bring their paralyzed friend and they lower him through the roof of a house because they are desperate for God to do what only God can do. And they aren't willing to take no for an answer. And they just keep going after God. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place as well. And I just, as I tie things up, I want to just end with one more thing. 
And that is that when we come to Jesus, we often come with a really clear sense of what we want God to do. Those four men, they wanted Jesus to heal their paralyzed friend. A good request, right? What does Jesus offer when they lower him through the roof? Do you remember? He offered him forgiveness. He said, son, I forgive your sins. And then there's the little conversation about the Pharisees there going, what? That's blasphemy. But Jesus actually knew what that man needed, more than he needed to be able to walk, and he did need to be able to walk. He knew that what that man needed was to be restored inside, to be freed from the sin and the things that were broken inside of him. And I, he, Jesus doesn't say it, but if he looked around at the crowd, he could potentially have said, I just want you to look at all the people here who are able-bodied, who can actually walk. I want you to know that even though those people can walk, they're not all happy, and things are not all good for them. So I could make you so you could walk again, but that's not going to take care of everything you'd hoped. What you really need is to meet the one who can heal you. And so he forgives this man's sins. And I think how often I come to Jesus with a pretty clear picture of what it is I want Jesus to do. Please heal, please fix, please restore. And Jesus is saying, I hear you and I hear your heart, but I want you to know that I am in the middle of this and, and it is possible I will give you what you need and not just what you want. I do wonder, did that man who was able to walk after that further down the line when everything maybe wasn't as tidy in his life as he'd hoped, did he say to himself, ah, I think I know what Jesus was offering me. I think, you know, he was offering me something better, something else. So what am I trying to say? Sometimes we come to God with our requests and our longings for a miracle, and we don't get what we ask for. And the question I ask you and I is, would we be content with God saying to us, I know what you want, but I'm offering you something else, something different, maybe something you need more, even though at this moment you don't understand. And I'm offering you myself and the promise that no matter what, I will be with you. And though in our heads we know... Um, that's ultimately what we need and want. I want Jesus more than anything else. Still, I still want Jesus to do what it is I want him to do also. I want him to do that miracle. And sometimes what God offers is simply to be with us on the road of suffering. A road like the one Jesus followed, which we know took him all the way to death. And Jesus could have asked for a miracle. He, he could have demanded a miracle to get him out of that suffering. But he trusted his father to take even this incredibly terrible suffering and redeem it and bring great good, which is what God did. And sometimes we're like Job, who never get an answer as to why he suffered um, and he didn't get a miracle that fixed everything. And yet, if we believe the whole story, the whole scriptural story, we know that God was very present through all of Job's suffering. God with us. Even if it's not the miracle we long for, will it be enough? And sometimes God does intervene, and, and we're the ones who get healed. 
Or we get a miracle like some of the people we read about in Scripture and, and we live rejoicing. And sometimes we're like the man at the beginning of the, the sermon, Jean-Pierre Belay, who comes to church in a wheelchair and inexplicably finds we are touched by the hand of God. Or in his words, God healed my heart. I thought that was such an interesting way to frame it. I know God does this. We have someone in our church community whom God healed, who had suffered for years from a traumatic brain injury. And in a moment, truly in a moment during prayer and confession, the fog that had enveloped her for years dissipated and she knew that God had healed her. A miracle, truly. Whether we get the miracle we long for or not, our invitation is to trust the one we follow, to care for us, walk with us, hold us, even as we long for a miracle. Will you pray with me? God, there's so much that we could spend time talking about as we think about your miracles. But we recognize, first of all, that you are God and that the miracles in Scripture are things you actually did. And we recognize that you, you showed people who you were by the things that you did, and we continue to believe the biblical witness. And God, we pray that as we look around our world at the need and the needy, the brokenness and the things that we long for you to fix. We pray that you would uh, hear our prayers. Come to our rescue, God. We pray that you would do what only you can do. Help us in our journey to trust you. Help us in our journey to be, um, to be involved in alleviating human suffering because we know that that's what you were also doing and you call us to be like you. And so wherever we are on this journey of miracles, I pray that um, we would know that you are the God who both hears and can do more than we could possibly ask or think. So we commit ourselves to you this week, saying to you, God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.